Welcome to The Truth in His Heart. I am your host, Rob Lee. And my next guest, their work captures experience through time and moving onto a surface of a photographic medium. Please welcome Natalie Chung. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, hello, Rob. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming onto the podcast. <laughs> this is just, just, just two, just two weirdos wearing glasses, just, just talking about it. I love it. I, I know, I know. My glasses are thicker than yours, so they're. Uh, my glasses have their own Instagram account, and here's the thing about that. Okay, <laughs> so be- before we get in, get too deep into it, right? Because you know we're here to talk about your work and talk about your process, but mostly your work, and you know some of your creative interests. I want to have you, you know, kind of open it up and do what I think a lot of us are good at, and talk about yourself. Share your story. What's, what's the story, and how did we get here? Oh, okay. Well, the Natalie Chung story. I was born. And my parents decided I should be a piano prodigy, like many people's parents do. Um, So at an early age, probably five or six, I was off to piano lessons. And, you know, for 10 years, I struggled to do well. You know, I did the recitals. I froze up once or twice. I never practiced. And the piano was in the coldest corner of the house where there were like, bugs and stuff all around just like not good vibes right so like that happened all right after I was born um so eventually you know after a long run of failure I I was given the option to stop said piano lessons and I was like yeah let's do it I don't want to do this anymore um and you know funny enough that same year I I took up darkroom photography in high school and I really loved it and I think it was sort of like a matter of being artistic but being in the wrong medium altogether Mm. yeah (laughs) and I'll never hear the end of the piano lessons for my parents they still try to ask me for lesson money back (laughs) I mean I I feel like and, and thank you thank you I feel like um like I have a bunch of canvases when I thought I was going to start painting again uh, <laughs> years ago. And I have, I had this goal, right? Uh, back in 2006. So we're six years removed, the, 2016, sorry. So we're six years removed from that at this point where I wanted to do, it wasn't huge, but I wanted to do like, I guess a 13 by 18 canvas. Um, I wanted to paint one per month. And I got through maybe about six months and it was like, you know, decent stuff. And I was just giving the paintings away. I was like, I want to just do this and try <laughs> to get this creative urge out. So that Christmas, obviously, all I got was painting supplies and my medium is mostly audio. And I was like, this is a lower entry for you guys. This is, you know, gear costs more, but canvases, not as much. I just went to Michael's with their 20% coupon. Oh, they got lit. They they went there and just like, yo, let me get the canvases. Let me get some brushes. What else he needs? And I was like, "I, I just, I need a new microphone. Nah, 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 you good. No, I just have some paint. You'll use it. And then I'll get a present and that will be cool. So when when did you realize like you know you mentioned piano and I've and I've heard like that sort of story where it's like that wasn't a medium for me when did you realize like photography or being around photography was like an interest for you was there like a work that you saw was it like damn how did they how did they do that how did they get that shot how did they like you know maybe do this sort of like uh development of the, this this photo how when did it become an interest for you Okay dude it was the Doolittle album from the Pixies. Like, so my entry into photography was all about album art 
and okay. the whole album just had like it was like crusty places with like a nail in the wall or like mm-hmm. a like a cracked spoon and like some stuff like baby arms and stuff like that and it was I was like this is what I need to do and you know I was in my high school photo class and I was lucky at the time because we had a really strong art department and like great funding so mm-hmm. that helped a lot and you know I I was like, I'm going to take these pictures. And we were still working in darkroom because I'm old. And like, I I started, I had this old 35 millimeter camera that my uncle gave me. And when he gave it to me, I was like, wow, we saved so much money. But then it was like broken, right? So like it was new in the box, but it was like completely broken on the inside. So like before I had even took one picture, it was already costing me a fortune. Oh, no yeah oh no yeah so that was the start the album art um and it's it's interesting because like there was this like there was like this asphalt picture in one of the like the album arts that i liked and and i and i had these baby teeth right that i collected for myself and it's weirdly enough that my best friend in high school gave me her wisdom teeth that were pulled so I took pictures of teeth everywhere, right? Just they're just in odd places. And I submitted this portfolio to college and that is the portfolio that got me into college is these weirdo pictures of teeth. I'm not going to smile. I'm not going to smile for the rest of this podcast. <laughs> so that, that is... that out. I'm kidding. <laughs> that is very great, actually. Um, so let's see. Like, I, I go to... And I don't think I've shared this before, actually, maybe maybe once, but this this notion of having something that's like broken doesn't work, especially from a gear standpoint. Mm -hmm. I I remember uh, I I was scrounging around in in my community and it was an elementary school that got rid of this um, this dubbing machine. So it had like cassette tapes in it because I am old as well. (laughs) And uh, it had like one side that you could record to and then you can do the dub on it. So and it had a microphone port. So my mom was really into karaoke. So we had a microphone around the house and I just brought this machine over and I was trying to impress a girl and I did a full like rap song on it in high school that wasn't good. But that was like one of my early experiences dealing with audio. It didn't work after it. But it worked long enough for me to get this one embarrassing, very embarrassing, I might add, um, recording out of it. Probably nowhere, right? Because this is before YouTube. So like, Everything you did is forgiven. Uh, I have reunions that come up, and I'm sure that someone say, "Yo, murder Mac," because it was a Macbeth rap song. Yeah. Oh my God, what are they going to do? Bring out a VHS or like a cassette tape, and then plug it like look as a cassette tape player. Look, I'm sure. I'm sure it's like, "Yo, that's murder Mac right there." Like that panel I was telling you about. That's not. That's not a bad nickname. You could have ended up with worse. This is true. This is true. It was murder, M-U-R-D-A, like Ja Rule. And uh, yeah, yeah, to make it really dated. Um, wow. So you, you mentioned that you mentioned the Pixies album, which I did look up. Shout out to you. Um, could you share some of your early like or even current like creative like influences? Like what helped you get to this kind of like aesthetic, the sensibility that you have when it comes to your work? Uh, I mean, artists like artists that we all know about or the we as in the art people I guess so like Olafur Eliasson's artworks um like 
on our interaction with light, like his um his light installations yeah. are amazing. And they make me think about, you know, like the perception of light and what's around us. There was this one artwork, I think it was in the MoMA when I saw it, but it was called like Room for One Color. And basically it was like a hallway. Like if you're in the MoMA in New York and you go up the escalators, it was one of those hallways right next to the escalator where the room was like full of these kind of like yellow fluorescent light things. And you would go under this yellow light and all of a sudden everybody in the yellow light would be black and white grayscale. And I looked at my hand and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, (laughs) I think I need to meet my the one here. Um, and it never happened, which is like really tragic. But I remember this is the time before cell phones had, had cameras. I really shouldn't tell people this. Or And I took my cell phone or my, my camera, like the windy camera with the flash. And I was like, I got to get a picture of this. So I took a picture. And then when I got them developed eventually, like because the flash had turned on, like you couldn't everybody was back to color, right? Oh, no. It was like made me think about like this ephemeral moment with lighting and like just with lighting. But, you know, a lot of his other works are interesting too. And and just veering off of, you know, this contemporary artwork. I, I also found Cy Twombly's paintings like really influential. Like they're all sort of these like scribbly, scribbly paintings. And there was only one thing he ever wrote about his art. Um, um, and it was like, it wasn't that long. And he was basically saying that the lines that he painted were the actual experience, saying that they were not illustrating something. So like compare that to photography, where like you're using this piece of equipment to go take a picture of something that already exists in front of you. And you're kind of like documenting it. Versus like where my artwork is, is cameraless photography. And you're kind of, it's kind of this experience happening on this paper's surface, right? Of something mm-hmm. new that's happening for a moment. So I, I want to put a pin in that because I have something to ask you about that, that cameraless piece there. Sure. But uh, I want to put a pin in that and I want to ask you about um, this. And I'm going to change this up a little bit. Yeah. Um, generally, people do the, tell me about your process. What's your process? Uh, um, what how, how I'll ask it is, um, what would be the word you would use to describe your process? And and there's a part B, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you kind of like ruminate on that one a little bit. What is the word you would use to describe your process? Uh words two words give me two words chance operations i love it yeah i love it so your your process is chance operations yes in in the photographic medium okay i like that it's better than trying to just say yeah walk me through your process give me the steps i'd be curious to know how you do this because i think sometimes like we we like to share what we do. We like to talk about how we do what we do, but also it's like, I'm going to give away, but I'm keeping, I'm keeping some of my secrets. Here's my special sauce. I got to keep to myself, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is secret and it's not secret. Right. So there, you know, I, I think anyone who goes through like a actual photo program will have some idea of what's going on, but I have been doing this for a while. So there's also that. So what would you say the best time for you? And and, then this can be like during the day, this could be during like, 
a given part part of the year. Like um, I remember listening to Austin Cleon, um, still like an artist and all of that, and he's describing like when he lived in Ohio. He's like, you know, this part of the year is very cold. So I'm always inside. I'm getting most of my work done. And now living in Texas, he's like, the summer is very hot. So it's just me getting all of my work done because I'm not going outside. So it, whether it's um, a time of the year or a time of the day, when um, do you do your best work? When are you like at your most productive? Okay, so you cheated and you already knew about that um, because literally that is my answer. I work seasonally. Um because first of all, I need to like build up the momentum and like the itch to go and make something. Because like I admire people who can spend all year and like pace themselves, and I I just I couldn't do it. I just <laughs> I, feel, I would feel overwhelmed. I think so. Um, I so when it's like a hundred degrees outside, or if it's like eleven degrees outside, that is when I'm inside working, <laughs> and I'm also definitely like a morning person i i you know i requested that we move this this podcast up because i i was like man i don't know 7 p.m i think i might be sleeping that oh no <laughs> <laughs> like i'm like you already got your peloton in and everything you're like i i have um, yeah actually i did i actually uh-huh. got my peloton in today how did you know know these things i mean look i'm observant uh <laughs> oh my god yeah my sweatshirt's <laughs> on it. i i might like i have this one ridiculous rule and it has nothing to do with it but it does kind of speak to you know, because we're all doing like multiple things. We have a day job. We have like other obligations we're doing while creating, right? And I have this one bit that's so ridiculous. I don't go out for coffee unless the temperature is higher than my age. Okay. Wow. That's really specific. So when it gets super cold, like I'm, I'm 37. So when it's like cold and it's like, look, we need a few more degrees before I leave oh, out. Gross. It's like we need a few more degrees before I shift and move my body outside to get anybody's coffee. That's the way I kind of approach it. (laughs) I'm I'm very lazy. I have like the bottle, the cold brew concentrate in the summer. And then in the winter, I like I like do a pour over and I feel very, very fancy for it. Pinky's out. Pinky's extended. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But yeah, but here's here's the other thing, though. When I do go to get that coffee after it's 30, at least 38 degrees. Uh, I usually get iced coffee though, or cold brew. And they're just like, you're, you're just trolling. You're trolling in some way. I was like, this is how I like my coffee. It's better flavor. Oh, I mean, I don't know. I'm a flavor guy. I think you need to change up your system. (laughs) Look, Natalie, this is my process. And how, how dare you? But you know what? I do eat ice cream when it's winter because that's the best time to eat ice cream because it doesn't melt. That that's that's legit. That's legit. Yeah. Um. So, is there is there an ex- experience, right? Um. This this kind of pings back in. Is there an experience that um, you know, being like form a formally trained photographer that that doesn't use like a camera? Tell me about what that experience is, and like t- let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So okay. I obviously used to own a camera. I I am a gearhead. I used to be a huge camera gearhead, like Hasselblad's, like medium format, large format. That was all me. It was like, ooh, I got myself a a rail camera, which is, you know, one of those things that takes like the four by five inch film. Um, 
And I still love those things. And I guess secretly, I do have some vintage cameras that I still own, but I don't, I don't really use them. I don't use them. Um, I use the, the camera on my phone and that's about it. And I'm actually a little bitter and I don't know if I can say this without getting in trouble, but like Apple needs to update their software to their camera because my iPhone six took better photos (laughs) than my iPhone, whatever this is like probably a 12. Yeah, that's that's no, that's legit. That's yeah, legit. It's, a, it's a software issue. It's not a hardware issue. Like I know this because I I am a photographer and I went to the Apple Store and I was like, I demand satisfaction. They're like, buy a new phone. I was like, no, make this camera work. I'm gonna reference you when I go there for my new camera. By the way, yeah, I'd be like the girl with the thicker glasses than me. She's cooler. Um, yeah, but you know what? This is why I stopped using a camera. Like I learned that you didn't actually have to use a camera. And I was like, oh, really? But then before the age of Instagram happened and Instagram burnout, like I already had burnout from Mm. taking a camera around everywhere I went. I couldn't enjoy myself. I had to like figure out an angle or figure out a subject to take a picture of. And it is like mentally exhausting because you can't be in the moment especially like back then when like I had to have use a film camera and it's like, you know, a couple of pounds. Right. Yeah. So you're carrying it around. You're very conspicuous. People look at you weird. And I don't care about any of that. I always act weird anyway, but I, I just wanted to be in the moment and, you know, I, and this is how I found a way I could be. No, I dig that. I dig that. And I think, I, I I try to find a way and I like how you describe like the size was a thing because that really puts it in context. Like I always think of photographers like Peter Parker in it. It's fine. It's great. And it's like this is a couple extra pounds. And, and I hate currying things myself. Mm-hmm. So however, like I've found over the time, like when I first went down there to, to Morton Fine Art and did some interviews, I think you interviewed uh, Jenny Wu and, and Michael Booker. I was down there. And I had my small gear. I have like a miniature mixer mm-hmm. and lavalier mics. And I had like earbuds. I could fit my full gear into a fanny pack. Oh, and right. I was like, this is the version that I like. And it meets like quality. And if I could find a way just in a reliable way to record to my iPhone, I would. But I just don't trust like they, like yeah. you talked about the camera's not great <laughs> in terms of software. Oh my god, audio. I want to get you a fanny pack. I feel like all this stuff could be like your your gear fanny pack. Yeah. I mean, if I can get you know sponsored by like Herschel or something, it's like, yo, give me a fanny pack. Come on, let's make oh, it happen. Come on. Aim higher. We can aim higher than Herschel. Sorry, I wasn't supposed to say that either. Apple and Herschel, sorry. So sorry. Okay. I mean, I mean, I love Carhartt. I mean, just don't don't besmirch <laughs> Carhartt. I'm all I'm wearing. Carhartt, how at your boy? You know, let's let's get me on. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 was there a sense that you maybe found like the camera limiting how you approached it in what ways maybe in not having that sort of traditional i'm using a camera i'm doing x y and z sort of change your approach to your work yeah so you know i i learned in my second year of my arts program that i didn't have to use a camera and so I was like, okay, let's try this, right? But I was still like, you know, when you're taking pictures, you're taking pictures of things that are pre-existing. You didn't build them, like, unless you really wanted to build a subject and then take a picture of it, right? Um, So you always have to look for something that already exists. So 
I started similarly in cameraless photography. Like there's a process called a photogram and it's basically if you think about what an x-ray looks like, the final project kind of looks like that. And yeah. what happens is you have your photo paper that's light sensitive, and then you take an object, like whatever, like a, a slice of an apple or like a vegetable or like some keys, and you put it on top of your photo paper, and then you shine a light on it. And then once you process it through the chemicals, what you get is sort of that x-ray looking effect. Yeah. So that's kind of where I started. And I was like still grounded in the world of objects. So I would I would bring in an apple and slice it up and photograph and be like, oh, look, it looks like an x-ray. Um, but then I was like, you know, this feels very similar to taking pictures of things. So how can I get out of objects, right? How can I you know, um, get a more satisfying result, like capture something that like can't be captured, like something that is truly fleeting. Yeah. So I cut out the subject in my work and reduced photography, my photography down to like the basic elements. So lights, chemicals, and light sensitive paper. And that is what I make my images out of. Shout out to you. Yeah, I like the way you described that. And, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting and it kind of almost answers this next question, but um, I'm still going to ask it though, because why not? Um, <laughs> so your work explores, I read that your work explores that kind of push and pull between physical reality and capture reality. And I think you were kind of touching on that a little bit there. What is it about that that really interests you, that really kind of brings you in? Could you tell us more about that? Um, well, I, you know, it's sort of like, God, it sounds so cheesy, but like, it's like a feeling, right? Like you're, you're seeing, like, you see something and you don't have to, you, as a viewer of the artwork, you're seeing this artwork and you don't have to think, oh, it's like a street corner with a street sign and this and this and this happening. You see it and you immediately just feel yeah, because there's nothing, there's like nothing to look at. Like there's a subject matter to look at, even though there's technically an image there. Um, so that's what I'm interested in. It, it's like capturing that experience on the paper. Um, I would compare it to like ghost hunter shows, right? Like, you yeah. know, they're trying to capture something that's like uncapturable, but you know, there's some cheesy movie magic happening and there's other times there aren't cheesy movie magic happening and you just have to figure that one out for yourself kind of. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. No, I, I appreciate you sharing that. That's, um, that's really cool. And I'm, I'm getting even more, I think this, this having this conversation has added some extra color, depth and, and richness to the, the research that I've done, my online internet stalking and looking for old interviews and such of your background oh, to help me with my questions. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 this is what I do. I got to research. So, so, so I, I read that upcoming, there's a an exhibition. Yes. So could you share more about that with us? This is a moment to plug. Oh, yeah. Plug. I'm going to plug. Okay. So <laughs> the exhibition is uh, is a solo exhibition uh, with Morton Fine Art. It's my second one there. Um, and it's called Made of Light because, uh, you know, it took me a long time to come to that title. And I'm terrible with titles. So it's a good one. That. Um, but it features several different bodies of 
artwork that I've made. I mean, I don't think like mixing bodies of work in a gallery show works for every artist, but it kind of makes sense for mine because the themes in my work are similar, even though they they look very different from each other. Like, I always think that like artists are always like, well, me anyway, I'm in like this spiral um, where like I think I'm making something super different, but it's kind of like the same idea, just in a different wrapper. So that's kind of what's going on. So, um, and I've made my largest artwork. So that that like I I my largest artwork in there I think is like 42 by 80 inches, which I took this crazy photo at my framers where like I laid down on the floor in front of this piece. And then I like put my arms above my head and I was like, the artwork is still longer than me. (laughs) (laughs) And it was very satisfying. So yeah, it was really cool. Like working at a larger scale. That's that's great. That's great. I always had this question for folks of when you look at a piece of work, whether it's your own, whether it's um, something that you're like appreciating being a viewer for, does the size, does the medium in which it's done, kind of change how you feel about it and you know like let's say if this was like a video podcast would it have a different layer to it than if it was purely audio or if there was a transcript of this as an interview would that have a different kind of perspective on it did you how'd you feel about making that really large piece i think that's my measurements by the way but uh, how'd you feel about making that that really large piece how did it make you feel Oh, it's just, it's so much better. I don't, I don't think I could go back to my, my regular size. Like, you know, it's now like the normal size. Like once you've seen your artwork at that scale, it's so satisfying to complete it. It feels more satisfying than like, than like working on four smaller artwork. So yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'm going to continue. It's great. So I got two more real questions for you. And then okay, uh, I got those great rapid fire questions for you. So okay. don't avoid them. Don't run away from those. <laughs> so outside of your art, um, what are your what are your interests? What do you like to do? How do you like to spend your time? Okay, well, I am an exercise nut, as we've already covered. Um, so I do lots of cycling. And for all the purists out there, yes, I do indoor cycling. Don't oh, judge. Doesn't count. It's like I'm going everywhere but nowhere at the same time real fast. And I also hike. I like to hike. I cook. I travel. I collect plants. Like I, I'm a very normal person. I also collect rocks. I have a rock collection. And teeth. And teeth. (laughs) You know, it's harder to find those these days. There's, I mean, there is a Netflix show that's going on right now. Uh... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know what? I, I'm sure I could eBay this, but I. If I don't know where they're from, it's not special. It's just creepy. Yes. Um, so th- this this almost is in the same vein. So it's like a, a part B to that question. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you like after, I would imagine like, you know, I talk to people about putting on a, an exhibition or what have you, especially when it's like a solo show and there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And it's like, people oh my God, are, yes. <laughs> they're, they're, they're on edge the entire time. And it's like, is this going to be good? Is it not? Blah, blah, blah. How, what are your favorite things to do to refill your cup? Like, or is there anything special outside of what you kind of do as a normal person and 
no normal people say that, but as a normal person um, that that you like to do that kind of refill your cup that's regenerative for you after all of those, all of that energy is out there for an exhibition. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I take a mental break. I, I hope other people do, but, and I, and I do that by, you know, kind of like I say, turning my brain off a little bit and I watch the worst television that there is in the existence. Like I am talking about like the entire show like all of the seasons of the jersey shore and then like 90 day fiance if you haven't seen it it's it's so juicy i mean it's like out there but then what's really bad is like i get so into 90 day fiance that i go on youtube and then i watch reactions and analysis of said show analysis it's a little much it's a lot but i think free breaks are important you know I take them. I take them most of the time. Uh, I mean, literally, with with doing doing like three, four interviews sometimes on a day. I'm like, I'm just gonna order some food and watch anime for the rest of the night. That's literally yeah. what happens, and because I'm ridiculous. Um, but that it's is a, a if it's like a, if it's like a, a show you already watched before, so you know what's gonna happen. Because like, let's be real, we have to play it safe. Our brain is like tra- in trauma right now. Yeah. 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 Like when, if I do, like, I think the closest thing for me in terms of presenting what I do, but to an audience, it's not an exhibition, obviously, but doing a movie screening, I'm out of my mind most of the day. And like, I don't want to look at movies. I don't want to see screens for <laughs> the next week or so. And it's like, I just need to listen to like a movie review or something, something that I know is going to be solid is comfort food. That's that's what I need. I need whatever the version of comfort food there is that's not necessarily food. Yeah, it makes total sense. So with that, um, I think that's a good spot for us to kind of wrap on the real questions. And as you've been talking, I've added several more rapid fire questions. I hope you're ready. What you to do with hot wings? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah, I, just, okay. I, I didn't send any wings or any any sauce to your to oh, your crib. So not yes. that kind of show. No, 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 no. <laughs> so, all right, this is gonna be a softball. What is your favorite color? Oh, uh, I I guess blue. I mean, I I sound disappointed because I feel like people who know me expect it to be blue because like a lot of my artwork is blue, and I'm like, it just happens to be blue. Okay. Fair okay. Fair enough. <laughs> uh what is your go-to snack um oh god that's gonna get progressively more challenging yeah it's like really challenging um probably tiny tomatoes from the farmer's market okay yeah the tiny tomatoes from the giant doesn't have any flavor I like to get those flavor bombs, the ones from like Wegmans, what have you. They're like still oh, in a little vine. Wegmans, how fancy. Oh, Pinky's out always. <laughs> Pinky's extended. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier ice cream. Favorite ice cream flavor? Mmm, mint chocolate chip. Oh. Yeah, no. it seems wrong, right? It's like really wrong, but it's so right. Like it just, it's like cooling. There's chocolate. I have trauma related to that flavor. Oh. I mean, not real trauma, but like, I got like, you know, like we, we, where I grew up in, we, we had a, um, a market, like one of those kind of like open air markets, uh, across the street from my, my apartment, the apartment we were living in. And, uh, my cousin looks a lot like me, at least at the time he looked a lot like me. Uh-huh. So 
he goes over there to get my dad's ice cream. My dad had a standing order every Friday of getting two pints of ice cream. It was like one, and they're ridiculous flavors. One was walnut ice cream, and the other one was um, uh, pineapple ice cream. So they always need to order. And my cousin goes over there, and he picks up the order, and they're thinking it's me. And they give him a pint of his favorite flavor, uh-huh. thinking it's for me. And it happened to be this um, the, the, uh, the mint chocolate chip. So I was like, there was an ice cream that was earmarked for me that I didn't get. And I was just, I was just so upset about it. I was like, you, you acted like me. You got my ice cream. That was meant for me. I was thinking that the traumatic story would involve the replacement of chocolate chips with raisins. Oh, oh. because that would be traumatic. Well, there's only one ice cream that raisins are in, right? Like Rocky Road or something. No, rum raisin. Oh, rum raisin. I I like (laughs) vanilla ice cream. I don't know what to tell you. I just, I'm, a, I'm a vanilla guy i'm plain yeah you just can't you can't criticize the mint chocolate chip then there's nothing there for you eh, fair enough um so with it uh what is your last google search so now it's getting even weirder um wow who's robley <laughs> can i look I don't, I don't know that would be great if someone's last google search was who the hell am i talking to actually it was hot sauce okay like that's true it was it was like a hot okay so there's that um you know the korean ramen that everyone talked about like a couple of years ago with the chicken on the there was like a chicken icon and the chicken yeah. was on fire okay so i had a packet of ramen today that i ate obviously and i i don't know what i was thinking when i bought it but it was like two times this it was like times two spicy so I eat this ramen and I am Chinese, which means like I have the highest threshold of spice ever. And <laughs> my eyes were involuntarily crying and my lips were like pulsating red and they were pulsating and I could not function for like 20 minutes because I was going around my house, like licking every type of flavor there was to like cure myself um it, it was like it's like this is what happens when insanity happens <laughs> that's that's funny actually i um i recently had uh sushi for like it was just some like i think it was like nigiri and just some other like regular random rolls or what have you but i hadn't really had it over like the last three years like i eat a lot of sushi and for the last three years i've not really eaten a lot of sushi just because i'm like ah, the experience is different i don't want to take home sushi i need to go into the place and if there's a place I like to go to, they always bring out extra sushi because they know that I eat a lot. And like, oh, it's the sushi monster guy. And they just bring in more sushi. It's great. <laughs> and um, I, I didn't really properly measure out how much wasabi I put on there um, because it's been so long. I've been out of practice. And it's just like everything was just sweating and leaking from my face. And I was like, yep. oh, this is how I die. Got it. You know, just sushi, yep. o- like, like, like wasabi overdose. That's what's going to happen. Got it. Yep, just trying to assassinate yourself with this with wasabi. Yeah, yeah, that's just what it is. <laughs> this is this is the last question I got for you. Okay. Um, I, f- I feel like there's a little whimsy there. I feel like there's a little whimsical nature to you. Uh, what cartoons do you like? I feel like you, you're a cartoon person. Oh God, I love Bob's Burgers. It's Bob's Burgers and like season one through ten of The Simpsons. Like just, the season one through ten was just more authentic. You know, like the yeah. drawings are crappier. The colors were duller. Now everything's like shiny and like, and has less like 
family value and more kind of like, oh, it's it's J.K. Rowling on the show. Like, who else can we get a cameo, right? Like, who cares? Um, <laughs> and Bob's Burgers, just because it's like, I don't know. It just, I feel like that if that show had a smell, it would smell like farts. And like, <laughs> wow, wow, as as. <laughs> Bob is so gross and greasy. It's really funny. It's really funny. <laughs> that sounds like something I would say outside of this podcast. I was like, man, it's just farts in here. <laughs> that's what that feels like. Um, that's that's a great assessment, I'm sure. When they're in season 13, it's like, here's this review for Natalie in Virginia that says, your show is like farts. Yeah. <laughs> if you show it a smell, it would be farts and like cheeseburgers. So there you have it. Uh, <laughs> um, so I think that's where we're going to stop stop oh, okay. at right there. Um, one, I want to thank you for coming on to this podcast and chatting it up with me. Yeah. And um, and two, I want to invite and encourage you to um, share with the uh, listeners um, the details about um, your, your upcoming exhibition um, and uh where to find you on social media for maybe those updates on the exhibition uh and all of that good stuff so feel free um and the floor is yours uh so my solo exhibition is called made of light and it runs october 15th to november 12th at morton fine art 520 street northwest 302 washington dc um and the there's an artist reception on october 22nd uh from 2 to 4 p.m and uh you know follow me on instagram uh at natalie chung arts that is natalie c-h-e-u-n-g art on instagram i have to spell that because people don't know that chinese people have an e and not just a u there you go thank you so (laughs) i'm one of those people by the way i'll admit uh so i'm rob lee saying um well, for, for Natalie Chung, I'm Rob Lee saying um, there's art in and around your neck of the woods. Go see uh, Made of Light. Don't mess around. More than fine art. Check it out. Rob Lee, truth in his art. There's art in and around your city. You just got to look for it. <laughs>